baseball fans. BetMGM is giving you the chance to win a prize every day during the baseball season. Step into the batter's box for BetMGM Swing for the Fences free to play game. Pick any area of the strike zone and take your best swing. If you get a single, double, triple, or home run, you'll receive a prize. Smash a home run to collect a bonus bet on us. Just log into your BetMGM Sports account to get started. Then visit your promotion section to access the Swing for the Fences free to play game. You'll score a prize if you hit a single, double, triple, or home run. There's nothing more exciting than going yard. So swing for the fences with the king of sportsbooks. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. Must be 21 plus and present in Ohio. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards vary depending on the market and expire 24 hours from issuance. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. A moment to remind you that this month, Film Study is brought to you by Manscaped. Support for this episode comes from Manscaped. Manscaped has the right tools to get the job done quickly, safely, and hygienically. Um, go ahead and get check out Manscaped. Manscaped.com. Use the code BIRDLAND for 20% off. It's summertime. You need Manscaped. It's the only men's brand dedicated to below-the-waist grooming. They have forever changed the grooming game with their perfect package 3.0. It's constantly a number one recommended gift for men. You should check it out. It's getting warm out. You can use it. Use the code BIRDLAND for 20% off at manscaped.com. Do yourself a favor and get the best tools for the job. And as their slogan always says, your balls will thank you. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. We have a great guest again today. We're going to talk about a cool topic, namely the 25th anniversary team for the Baltimore Ravens. And here to talk about that with me is our friend Dev Panchwa. Dev, how are you doing? I am fantastic, Ken. How are you doing as well? I, I'm 
you know, getting by with uh, with COVID being what it is. We're, we're, we miss some of our restaurants, but honestly, otherwise, life hasn't changed too much. Maureen and I are spending a lot of time analyzing the offensive line this offseason from the 2005 Ravens, which is oh a gosh. is a labor of misery. <laughs> I can tell you. <laughs> oh, my goodness. You guys are so committed. I, I applaud it. That's tough. That's a tough one. That's a tough season. Wow. You know, it makes you appreciate, I'll tell you what, certain players, and Matt Skura is one of them, because Mike Flynn, and, and this is true, not only a Flynn, has some of the worst feet you'll ever see, some of the worst footwork of any Ravens player in history. And he would constantly step on the feet of either Bowler or Wright, who each got some time at quarterback that year, and it he would... He would also trip up the guard, moving from left to right, usually in, in some pull. I'm not saying usually he did it, but when it happened, it was usually the guard moving from left to right when he was pulling. Uh, and it's just, it's really difficult to watch. And you compare it to the Matt Skura era, where there's been very little of that. Yeah, no, we've come a long way. That's an interesting uh, fact. I didn't even know that, but Flynn, I guess, wasn't the most coordinated mm-hmm. fleet of foot guy uh, at center. They, they used to play... I mean, that, that offensive line was just more uh, a brawler style than anything else. And now, yeah, you're, you're 100% right. They've come so far with these guys that can move and pull, and it's night and day. I mean, um, to me, it's a it's a big coaching problem when you can't keep the quarterbacks, keep the center from stepping on the on the, that's true. On that, the quarterback that's true. split. It's, it's just you, you lose – you know, a play a game to that kind of silliness. And some of them are really costly plays. There might be a fumble you, you cause because of that. It might be just, a, you know, a loss of two on an important down where you were planning to pass. And he's, you know, he's it's just, it's bad news. And obviously they should have, should have figured out somehow to stop that. A lot of it, I thought they think was Bowler's fault, but the more I look at it, I'm thinking it's more Flynn's fault than Bowler's fault, not knowing how to get his feet out from under center. Oh, and that's a great, I didn't even think about it, but yeah, Bowler had so many of those, like he, he just dropping from uh, going back from the center and then tripping and, and falling. And I remember, the, well, I don't know, if, I don't know if this is the same play or the same scenario, but I remember that New England game. What was it? The, the year before in the rain, you remember 2004 that game. Yeah. It was yeah, like a late game. Yeah. Yeah. And then he gets fumbled, the fumble gets picked up by Teddy Bruschi and then he goes in for a touchdown, I think. So yeah, we're uncovering some of uh, the problems that may may not have been Bowler's fault after all. Yeah. <laughs> it's good stuff. All right, Matt Skura going going through with a terrific offseason program now appears to be ready to start camp. So I mean, you know, I think we'd been all projecting he might be a PUP guy to start the season if he played at all this year. Yeah, no, uh, it's interesting. I phenomenal progress uh, i think i'm very surprised and i know you and i have tossed a few messages back and forth about this possibility uh just in terms of would he be ready it's been the big question mark uh the fact that he's ahead of things he's on is on track is huge i think a huge thing for this team and i think people underrate you know mascara's value and, and they may do without him last year with nakari but you kind of saw that uh, to an extent, I think it kind of exposed a little bit in that Titans game, right? Because I think uh, just, you know, not to say Bakari is the only reason that they struggled up front in that game, but I just think Matt Skura, his savvy and just his ability at center, he's he's really got the complete game. I, I still believe and just kind of thinking through this logically, he still might hit that pup list. But uh, it seems like he's got a really good shot at, at avoiding it. And if he does, that really then all of a sudden takes away a huge question mark. Um, because I know that you and I had talked about the possibility that you're not only looking at center, you're looking at left guard and right guard. All three of those positions being impacted if Skura doesn't come back for yeah, some reason. Or he's not ready. Bunch of dominoes, and we, we probably ought to tease a show we have planned. Dev and I are going to get together and talk about the offensive line and those interior positions in particular. Since the Ravens' backup tackle is really the only question on the outside, but the in, the interior offensive line, you know, is a seven-to-make-three situation right now, and it might be made six-to-make-two if, if Skur is okay. But I really – that deserves its own in-depth show, so I don't I think we got to put that aside for, for the next time, Dev. But – I. I did want to. I don't want to cut you off on any Matt Skura points about his rehab. It's been nothing short of amazing. Yeah, totally. Uh, I think that's encouraging for sure. It's a, it's great news 
look, I mean, at the end of the day, uh, which you, center is such a vital position, the fact that the team had to shuffle uh, their, their roster or the their lineup around just to make it work when he went down last season. I don't think people understand how difficult that is and how much of a blow that can be to an offense. And, and you didn't see that happen because the staff is incredible and, and, the, and frankly, the players are too, but it's not easy. And I think, you know, right now, if you get him back, all of a sudden your depth is that much better as well. There's a lot of possibilities uh, beyond just having a very good center uh, back in the fold it, it improves you in a lot of, it, it improves your your team all over uh so it's it's great news and i i hope that it does come down to him being able to reclaim that position because i think that's what they need yeah i think not only is that what they need i mean boy matt Skura really was he was if he had finished the season healthy i think he'd be one of the guys that would have been signed early to an extension, kind of like Clark did, um, right? And and been a guy, and they probably would have not drafted somebody. Maybe Bredesen doesn't get drafted if they if they end up signing Skura. Uh, you know, it's obviously less needed. And and uh, boy, it's just it's it didn't come at a great time. Is but I love the way he reacted to it and just you know took it as a challenge to to work out. It sounds like his wife was very helpful in terms of, of making that work out. Yeah, absolutely, and that's a great point about the guys he drafted too. And and this would have been. This could have meant that they wouldn't have even gone down that path or that road. And that's actually a positive that they did end up having to draft him uh, because you do want, uh, especially with the loss of Yanda, and I know we're going to not talk about that topic on this mm-hmm. show, but just uh, it's hard to avoid it a little bit just because you're looking at, I think, just overall talent and depth and roster, uh, especially up front on the offensive line. You want that. You want as many good players as you can have and that, as many versatile players as you can. But, yeah, I think – Ideally here, um, him being back is critical, uh, and it's good to see him on the right uh, path towards that. All right, well, let's let's go talk, shift gears a little bit, talk about the 25th anniversary team. Very, very uh, current topic with the Ravens asking for votes uh, this week and something people can get out there. I do not know exactly when the voting goes out, but if you go out to the BaltimoreRavens.com, the the, uh, the voting is up there. And let's just go through position by position, Dev. And I, I'm just going to define something here. I'm generally going to pick the players that had the most useful long-term value or career value to the Ravens as opposed to the guys who had the higher peak value. Although I am going to, you know, there's a few places where I'm going to say there's a peak value player who I think will supplant the current uh, person who I think is the 25th anniversary pick right now. That's a great uh, criteria and actually aligns pretty much with what I was thinking, too. I think if you're thinking about this, you have to think about an all pro team, 25 years. I think you give the credit to the better Raven, whatever that context is, and that there could be players that are actual like just better players, <laughs> but they might not might not have had as much value to the team overall. So I agree with that criteria, and I I would kind of follow the same criteria in, in my selection as well. All right, well, let's let's start hammering through this quarterback: Vinny Testaverde, Joe Flacco, or Lamar Jackson. So I will, yeah, I guess I'm starting here. Uh, I, I go with Flacco, based on what we just talked about just the tenure uh, overall, his years, uh, he never <laughs> ascended to the heights that the other two guys ascended to. Obviously, Lamar's unanimous MVP, so that's a different category onto itself. I just think Joe gets the nod here for, the, in, 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 the, in the future list, I think Lamar will be that guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you just look at Jamal, uh, if you look at Joe's body of work, including the playoffs, including that success in the postseasons, I think that's um, something you have to consider when you evaluate him and what he's meant to this franchise. He's the one that's really kind of got them legitimacy at the quarterback position after being, we brought Bowler at the start of the show. I mean, that's kind of the dark ages of this team and what they had to face in order to actually finally have like a consistent team year after year that could compete with their defense. So that's what I go with. I go with Joe. Yeah, uh, it's a, you, we can make the list of quarterbacks, and, and they would not look not unlike the Browns guys, frankly, from uh, between Zaire and, uh, 
and Bowler and McNair and and all those guys. So we don't want to get oh, into all of that. Yeah. But 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 Flacco's my guy too. I think that in all Lamar loving seems to be paired up with Flacco hating, and I really don't like that. Uh, but but Flacco had a ten and five career postseason record. Most of that was on the road. Uh, he was a terrific clutch quarterback. Uh, he needs to get his his props for that. Lamar, I think, will get there. And Lamar's one of the guys who, to me, by the end of his first contract, will probably be the greatest quarterback in Ravens history in my mind. Yeah, we're totally on the same page there. And then just one thing with one last thing with with Joe, I think would be just this is he's the best he's been the best quarterback and regarded as the best quarterback in franchise history for quite some time. You can't knock the guy down that pedestal so sharply just because of what Lamar's done the last couple of seasons and what Joe's tail end of his career here has been. So I think it's fair to, that he makes that team totally. Right. Every, every quarterback or every player in fact has an end of their career that, that often is not pretty. Yeah. Um, let's, let's move on at running back. Uh, Justin Forsett, Jamal Lewis, Willis McGahee and Ray Rice. Let you go yeah, first again. Uh, it, those are all very, I mean, aside from Forsett, who had kind of his monster season, but you look at those other three, Ray Rice, McGahee, and, and Jamal, those are fantastic backs. I think Ray's close, but I would give the nod to Jamal. He's just one of the top 10 Ravens of all time. It's not even a question to me. He's arguably a top three offensive aside from quarterback maybe or whatever, but you can look at him as a top three or four offensive player of all time as well for this team. And uh, that, that I, I'm a Jamal guy. He's my favorite Raven. So maybe I'm biased, but I just think he's such an underrated all time back, let alone a Raven. Uh, so I think I've gushed enough about him. And yeah. <laughs> I, I, I loved what Ray Rice was as a receiver. He brought a tremendous additional dimension to the position, but Jamal Lewis, Boy, if the Ravens had him in this offense now, how unbelievably powerful would he be? I mean, you have Lamar forcing the field to be spread and Jamal just hitting it like hitting ice with an ice pick. Effectively, it would have just been so easy to crack through, uh, get those second and third level opportunities for him where he was pretty much untackable or, you know, you could drag him down after about 10 yards, but it was he was very difficult to bring down. Hey, fun fact for you, Ken. I know you'd appreciate this. I was rewatching the Ravens-Titans uh, second matchup in that 2000 season, uh, the one in Tennessee where they broke okay. the Titans' home rec- home uh, winning streak, and Jamal was phenomenal in that game. And so, yeah, if you if, if Ravens fans are out there and you don't you kind of came in a, a little bit after that team and that group, just watch those old games of Jamal. You'll appreciate how incredible he was and. To, to your point, Ken, he, he, he could get to – he's going to hit the home run. He's going to get past the front line. It would have been like a Madden uh, game or something like that if those two guys came together. I, I have to say this because I don't know if you use it for the same reason, but I, I wasn't able to sleep properly this morning. So I got on this bad sleep schedule. I'm up all night, and then I sleep at times during the day for an hour or two kind of thing. And and I'm like, I've got to go back to sleep. And Maureen says, there's always the Tennessee game. She <laughs> She wants me to watch the playoff game. The second half of the playoff game from 2000, because it's the kind of thing I know everything that happens and it really does. If I put it on, I was like, I immediately fall my, find myself falling asleep. It's just, it's, it's like a lullaby. It's wonderful. Oh man. I, I can relate. We, we, I definitely have been putting those classic games on late at night <laughs> and I find yeah. them through YouTube or whatever. And it's, it's always good to go back to that. It's like a comfort thing, I think. All right, let's move on to fullback here. We got four guys on the ballot. Vontae Leach. Patrick Ricard, Laron McLean, and Kyle Juszczyk. I went with Leach. Uh, I just I think, you know, his time here was was short but really impactful. And it's a tough list. I mean, you could even, like, argue Sam Gash, you know, could have been on that, uh, I guess, candidate list. And Juice was great. I think uh, t- maybe the most talented guy. But I think for my money, it's Leach. Three years in Baltimore for Leach, so it's not understandable. And he got much more of an offensive opportunity. He came to Baltimore. He'd only ran the ball three times in Houston. Ran it 35 times for the Ravens and got some key first downs for them. He got 15 first downs on those 35 carries. So it's not an insignificant contribution. He really only had one pattern he ever ran until the Super Bowl. He ran a one four-yard out that he would uh, he would run and right. very rarely would 
<laughs> ever get any deeper than that in terms of the route. But he, he certainly provided a lot as a blocker. I didn't pick him. I went ahead and uh, selected Juszczyk. I thought he gave the Ravens a, a, a fair amount of other uh, utility knife value. And he has the three longest receptions ever by a Ravens fullback, all over 30 yards. The guy I thought they left off the list that I was little, I don't know if he really belongs on it, but Patrick Ricard belongs on it. Maybe this guy belongs on it is uh, Ovi Mahaley. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, he's he was I think very yeah he he was a good one too and they they had a, like a really consistent fullback play uh, through mm-hmm. all of their teams that's really stood out and uh, some of them were veterans that they brought in uh, including Neil including Gash and we talk about uh, Leach so it's a tough call and I, I, getting to back to Juice um, correct me if I'm wrong but I think he's well, the other guys, I think Leach, maybe Leach did make a Pro Bowl, but just in terms of making a Pro Bowl when you're not part of necessarily uh, the best set of offensive weapons around you, I think is is more of a noteworthy. Uh, it's more noteworthy, I should say. I think he did make the Pro Bowl, right, Ken? So yeah, I think McLean also, did. McLean did too. Yeah. So I think Leach McLean might have made it twice, and yeah, yeah McLean did twice in 08 and 09. Yeah. So uh, yeah. Strong position. Right. Man. So. Let's, I guess let's move on here. And the next position is, I hit my next button down here, wide receiver. Now, the choices here are not necessarily particularly inclusive, but they have Michael Jackson, Anquan Bolden, Torrey Smith, Derek Mason, and Steve Smith Sr. I've got a guy who I think got dissed in the list here too, but I'll let you hear who your guy is among these. Okay, yeah, I think it's interesting that they have Michael Jackson on the list. They don't have Derek Alexander. On the list. Yeah, that that was my I, guy. Okay, well, you and I are on the same page because I think those guys are kind of hand in hand. But I think it's for me, it's Mason, it's Bolden. I think Mason is the number one or top receiver for the team all time. I don't even think it's much of an argument. Um, I can understand the people that say Bolden, but you know, I think Bolden did have those. He had those monster performances in the playoffs that really kind of. I think is what sticks out in people's minds, but I like those two guys. I think Mason has more consistency all around. Um, if you were to make somewhat of a small argument, you could maybe make that for Steve Smith, of course, but just too short of a time here. But those two guys, I think are, are they have to be on top two, uh, or in my opinion, I don't think it's much of an argument at least. Right now, he had a ton of targets. Mason had a ton of targets in his six years with the Ravens. So I agree, he has to be on the list. This is hard to believe because, I mean, I'm trying to figure out how Miles Boykin could maybe get 90 targets this year. And I don't think it, it's likely to happen. But, boy, that's the only way he'll get to about 800 yards. In 2007, Derek Mason had 164 targets with the Ravens, still caught 68% of those balls. And it was only 1,087 yards in total. But that's a that's a hell of a lot of targets to uh, totally. Yeah, no, you're right. He was a targets monster. And uh, it's not like he necessarily he he, I think caught a lot of balls as well. It wasn't like a ton of yak or, 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 you know, not yak, but I should should say average per catch, average yards per catch. Right. But I think ultimately he he weathered the storm through any quarterback that they had (laughs) so consistent and. Uh, yeah, I, I think he's the guy, but good, uh, good memory on the Derek Alexander one. I mean, those guys were amazing that, that two, two year stretch, I guess it was, uh, they, they put up some major numbers. Right. I, I agree. Bolden is my number two guy and I put him ahead of Torrey Smith largely because of what he did in the playoffs for the Ravens. And, uh, he was simply outstanding there. It's too bad. They had to let him go when they did, but, uh, you know, let's not forget they had to cut Bolden for cap reasons it wasn't like they traded him for a sixth round pick it's it wasn't that at all uh it was cut him and then after you figure out you're going to cut him you have to salvage what value you can and that's where they got the sixth round pick yeah no that's totally a fair point they had to do some cap maneuverability i know people think back to that and they think okay well they they signed doomerville and they signed like canty and they signed uh, spears i think it was it wasn't quite that simple though um there's some he was eating up a large chunk of the cap so therefore they could use that money a little bit better i think right and it was of course the, the winner they signed flacco too so that was yes. you know a big big deal for sure 
All right, tight end. We got four guys on the list. We got Shannon Sharp here for two years, Todd Heap, Dennis Pitta, and Mark Andrews. An interesting crowd to choose from. Oh, yeah, it's a strong list. Wow. I mean, Andrews has got very much the chance to be uh, the guy in the future. Uh, Shannon Sharp's one of the top five tight ends of all time, but Todd Heap is my pick. Just uh, brought everything to the table. Uh, Pro Bowls, he was their offense for so long. It's too bad that uh, you know, he gave him some good years, I think, towards the end of his career here. But it was if, if he was paired up with Flacco in his in his prime, I think a lot of those jump balls just crushed him and, and took sapped sapped some of his physical ability away. But he still gave him some good years uh, in the in the Flacco era. And um, Todd Heap is the, is has got to be the guy, I think, right, Ken? Yeah. So Todd Todd Heap's my guy. Uh, Shannon Sharp, obviously there for the championship. Dennis Pitta, Flacco's best friend and a, and, a, and a great target in terms of uh, on the field. Uh, I'm with you. I think Mark Andrews will be the greatest tight end in Ravens history uh, fairly soon. One interesting thing is Mark Andrews, in his rookie year, set the all-time record for any receiver, any position, including running backs, wide receivers, tight ends, whatever, in terms of yards per target at 11.04. Wow. Uh, it's yeah, it's the highest fun. ever. I, and the Ravens only had three other guys ever reach 10. And one of those was Todd Heap in 2010 when he was up at 10 and change. And I don't have the exact number on me here, but it might have been 10:32 uh, kind of level. So uh, Mark Andrews, it, it, really, he, he appears to be that guy right now. I think he's got some ball security issues he needs to deal with in terms of his hands, both after the catch and making the catch. But uh, but otherwise, I'm, I'm I, Heap is my guy for the for the past. Yeah, and just one real quick thing, I guess, before we wrap up on this position, is that I Todd Heap is the most talented, I think, of all these guys. Athletically, uh, just his abilities uh, physically were phenomenal. But, you know, something about Mark Andrews is uh, just savvy as a receiver, understanding routes, how to kind of sit down, settle down. Uh, you know, he's he's got the complete receiver game, like you said. He's, a, he's really a receiver, so I think that's really what impresses me the most about uh, Mark Andrews. Yeah, not a blocker, and Heap wasn't really either. Heap did do some pass blocking, but let me I'll, I'll just say this about Andrews. Andrews, along with Orlando Brown, are the two biggest beneficiaries of exactly who Lamar Jackson is as a quarterback. Lamar Jackson, first of all, likes to throw it between the numbers, so that benefits him. But second of all, because all eyes on the defense are on him, his ability to create Play action opportunities for Andrews specifically are just tremendous. Likes to throw between right. the numbers. I mean, he's the guy, and that's why he's so so frequently targeted. Andrews needs to improve his catch rate going forward. It's one thing that's been uh, a weakness this season is after week two, he was under a 60% catch rate for the rest of the season combined. And that, that's yeah. not good. So, yeah, um, I agree with you. And Orlando Brown, we've talked about it so many times on the show. I really don't want to go into my reasoning again on that, but he's he's benefited tremendously from having Lamar there as uh, as an offensive tackle. We're on to the offensive tackle position. Four guys there. I think it's a fairly easy choice. Jonathan Ogden, Ronnie Stanley, Michael Orr somehow sneaks onto the ballot. I won't you know tip my hand on who I don't <laughs> like. And Orlando Brown. Yeah, it's interesting. I one thing I'll say. First of all, let me just say Jo is on there, and there's, there's no point even discussing that one. I think uh, I think it really comes down to that other offensive tackle. I think his I think senior Orlando Brown, his his father got slighted here. Yes, uh, I think he definitely <laughs> deserved to be uh, mentioned, and he really could have been my pick had he been an option. But I'm going to go with Stanley just because he's the best player out of this group and has, I think enough years now. Uh, but that's the way I'll go with it. With the rest I mean, of the other. Stanley's four years are so far ahead of Michael Orr's five years and Orlando Brown's only played two years. But even if, even if you put Orlando Brown seniors time in, it's not enough to make up the difference in playability between the two. To me, this is like Ronnie Stanley is like the Lamar Jackson of tackles, slightly overstating, slightly hyperbolizing there because Jonathan Ogden is really the Lamar Jackson of tackles. But Ronnie Stanley, in terms of, of what he brings to the tackle position, uh, has done everything that could be expected of a sixth overall pick uh, for the Ravens in, in 2016 after four years. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I know at the time it was kind of a question as to 
whether they should take him or Tunsil. They're both great, uh, but Stanley's just developed such an all-around game, and he's such a just a, a quality. Like you, you know what you're getting with him. Basically, he's he's been quality from day one, and he's he's as close to Jonathan Ogden as you'll get. Nobody's going to be Jonathan Ogden. He's arguably the best left tackle in the history of football, but that's that's okay. <laughs> and and another another guy who does really well with Lamar because Lamar obviously understands when pressure's coming from that side. Stanley keeps the hands off of Lamar, although he does give ground in the pocket. But when he gives ground in the pocket, it's generally Lamar's feeling the push and is able to negotiate that pocket pocket in a useful way. Whereas if people were constantly getting around Ronnie, that would be a much bigger issue. Oh, so. totally. Totally. I agree. Those are, those are definite points that need to be made is that Lamar definitely helps these guys, especially Brown and, and Stanley in particular. But that being said, Stanley, I think pound for pound is, is up there in terms of pass protection anyway. And I think what if whoever, whoever was in front of him, he would have been protecting really well. Yeah. I, I do want to talk about Michael Orr for just a second, because Michael Orr started his career at right tackle in 2009 for the Ravens, coming in uh, with Jared Gaither entrenched at that left tackle spot. And Jared Gaither, by the way, we can laugh about him today. You know, the, you know, the guy threw his career basically away for pot. But the guy honestly was one hell of a football player for two seasons in 2008 and 2009. And Michael Orr at right tackle in that 2009 season was the best he has ever been. His career was a ski slope down from that mountain the entire time. And some of it may have been due to a positional change and the fact that maybe he wanted to play left tackle. Maybe the Ravens wanted him to be the guy at left tackle because they didn't really trust Gaither. But it didn't work out moving him over to the left side. And I think they, they potentially ruined a very solid career uh, from, from making that move. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Uh, thinking back to that, they – flip-flopped him and, and ultimately his his best position was right tackle if he just stayed there the whole time uh, he could have easily made this he could have easily been the guy you pick on this all pro team and I, I think they kind of screwed him up a bit uh, with his potential but he did also give him a couple of very good seasons and it was instrumental uh, I think kind of he's just never lived up to that hype though because of Obviously, the blind side itself in the movie and there's in the book, I think it's just never been at that level. But that's that's OK. He's been a good quality player. Yep. Agree. Now, let's move on to guard where we have four candidates. One of them, again, is an easy one. Marshall Yanda, Ben Grubbs, Kalechi Osemele and Edwin Mulatalo. Yeah, this is one I'm very interested in your pick, uh, but <laughs> I think Yanda's obvious. But then left guard, I, I'm going with Molotalo. I'm going to do a little bit of a curveball. Uh, I think Grubbs and Kalechi are arguably better players, uh, pound for pound. Grubbs being maybe the, 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 the best of the, that group. But I just think Molotalo was such a key guy during that that. That, that Super Bowl, the first Super Bowl team, but if you look at the, even Jamal Lewis, talked about him getting to 2,000 yards. Molotov is, I think, very much more of a one-dimensional guy, but just was such a key, key uh, guy. And the run game and him and Ogden together was a tremendous duo for a long time. So I'm just going to give him the nod based on kind of just more being a better Raven, being a tenured guy and, and quality player over a longer stretch. Yeah, I... I, I... Respect that judgment. You know, I said career value is what's really important to me. And, and you could pick Mulatalo on that basis because he, he played eight years in Baltimore and Grubbs only played five. Part of this is me scoring the 2005 line play. And, and 2006 was the last year we did. Mulatalo only played the first four games and was done in 2006 after an injury in that game against the Chargers. That was actually his last game he ever played. Mm-hmm. In 2005, he had a lot of problems, and, and he, he didn't look very good as, as a pass blocker, didn't really look great as a run blocker that year. And to me, that was that was a – it's a downer, and I can't, I can't imagine it's not impacting me in this vote because I know he was good in the 2003 season and, and other years. But Ben Grubbs, to me, always a cut below Yonda. I've never understood Mike Preston's view that Grubbs was better than Yonda, which he basically has espoused – the entire time, it's just it's 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 beyond weird 
you know, at this point that, that uh, you know, you have that. But Grubb's a terrific pulling guard. And even though the Ravens have had some good guys who've done it since, I don't think anybody did it any better than Grubb's. And that's a fair point. He's He was really good. He's almost that, that quintessential player that you just don't even think about is as good as he, you, know, you kind of think for granted, I should say, like how good he is because the first round pick, he lived up to all that, but he's just never very like um, exciting. It's not like he's Will Shields for somebody like you, you, for a guard to really stand out, it'd have to be like the best guard in the game or something like that. So that's just really all it was with him. I think is that he played, he lived up to his billing. He played well here for the time he was here, and then that was about it. But uh, totally get that. I totally get that selection. He only missed six games, and he was a starter for all but ten of his eighty games in Baltimore. Of his eighty, you know, sixteen times five games in Baltimore, he played uh, seventy-four of those and started in seventy. So, you know, it, it, he was a plug-and-play immediate guy, and even even Marshall Yonda got sidelined in two thousand eight for a while and lost his job for a little bit to Chris Chester of all people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just it's uh, it doesn't always go completely smoothly. And for Ben, it really did. I know I remember how upset I was um, and I, I've probably I was really upset about the Derwin James thing. And I remember we were talking on Twitter when that happened. And you're yeah. basically kind of telling me to calm down a little bit about it, which I respect. But <laughs> but boy, was I upset in real time about this, because all the, the whole time in the draft, I'm like, there's a chance we could get Derwin James. My God, you know, he could drop. And then he did. And he said he's available at 16 and Baltimore's traded the pick we hear. So Ben Grubbs, similar situation. We're having a draft party in 2007 and the Ravens ended up drafting him at number 29, but the guy I really wanted was Joe Staley. Yeah. And of course the San Francisco 49ers traded to the 28th pick right ahead of the Ravens, got Joe Staley away from us. And Staley's still in the league after all these years, or maybe he's just retired, but, uh, but you know, he would have been a hell of a left tackle to have for that entire time. Oh, I, I remember that. The, that actually Staley was one of the guys I wanted as well. And Grubbs, I know, had been pegged for the Ravens, and that was that was where a lot of a lot of people thought he was going to end up, and that's what happened. Uh, and that's why sometimes you, you look at the player that that's selected, and it's just it's not necessarily the most, like I said, it's not the most exciting guy, but he was the right guy, and, and really solidified a neat position for them for for a number of years. All right, well, let's move on. At center, we have a two-person race. That's really a one-person race in my mind. Matt Burke and Mike Flynn. Yeah, it's Matt Burke, and I think that's that's pretty easy. Uh, that's my thought on it. He he just what a what a great signing, one of their best free agent signings of all time, and just was everything and more. I think for what they needed at the time, and and, and uh, yeah, you know, it was nice to see him get that ring and then call it quits. Yeah, I mean, it, it was really rather remarkable because Jason Brown was the was the center in 2008. Ravens had a great year rushing the football, running the football in 2008. Losing him, and he was their second best lineman at the time uh, after Yonda. Uh, you could have seen, he said even over Gaither at that point, although I really liked uh, Jared Gaither, um, was was a big loss. And, and it, it, he was a guy who, um, you know— it, there's a real question of whether they should have signed it, but I think he went for five years and 37 million, 37 and a half million with the Rams. So he got about seven and a half and the Ravens acquired Matt Burke for three years for 4 million per year. I mean, just an outrageous guy, six time pro bowl with the Vikings. And he came in the very first season. I think PFF had him as one of the best players in all of football. And one of the things about grading him, I'll tell you is that I think it distorted the center grading in my system. And I had to twice after he retired, extend down the grade levels at center, largely because Burke was getting so many A's in my system. So at first I I said, okay, you got to have a 94 to get an A at center. And then I reduced it to a, to a 93 and a 92 and, 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 you know, with other drops along the other ways, because, because no other centers were living up to this. And part of it was, you know, you have Gino Gradkowski and you have some other players who weren't that impressive, but part of it was just Matt Burke set an impossible standard. Oh yeah. Oh, no question. He's, he's one of the best centers in the last 25 years. (laughs) Forget Mm -hmm. the Ravens 25 years, right? I guess, well, in that respect, he's been just one of the top centers in, in, in football in general. And it was a, like you said, a major steal at the time. Jason Brown was a hell of a center too. Mm-hmm. Uh, so at the time when they made that move, I do remember that vividly that the fact that they were able to make 
that swap essentially was uh, was just great. A classic Ozzy move, I thought, like a classic move where he was able to uh, kind of seamlessly plug that position and then find a, a good veteran for a, a great price point. Yeah, they got him at 30, age 33, so you would have figured decline. But the great thing about Burke was, he, you know, he played four years, and he did not decline very much over that period. I mean, it, he played all 64 games, didn't lose him, didn't lose a game, and, and was just a terrific stabilizing force there. Absolutely. All right. So let's move on. We'll go, go to the defensive side of the ball now. Now, they have an interesting position here, defensive end, where you only get to pick one. And that's fine, I think, but it's a very hard selection to make. The three guys are Michael McCrary, Trevor Price, and Rob Burnett. And, of course, Rob Burnett and Michael McCrary were true defensive ends. Trevor Price was really a 3-4 inside defensive end who occasionally played on the outside in pa- on passing downs. But uh, take me through your logic on these guys because these are three great ones. Yeah, it's tough. I wish they would have just had picked two and then kind of uh, we'll, we'll get into the other positions, right? But I think they could have just done the pick two. Um, I'm just going to go with the guy who I think had more meaningful impact for the team over the, again, the 25 years, which is McCrary. He is the most important and arguably the most important free agent signing they've had in their, in their history because he started the movement of pretty good players coming to Baltimore. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not to say, you know, they got Shannon Sharp, of course, and they got Rod Woodson. These guys, and Rod Woodson was a kind of, you know, question mark at the time when they signed him and had to resurrect his career. So it's just the idea of getting a pretty good player, a quality guy, not a pro bowler. Then he comes here, he kind of completely uh, takes his game up to another level. And I think it's just, just a bit more of a meaningful impact. But Trevor Price, if you're going to look at this from a scheme standpoint, is probably the guy that I would have, I would have probably picked, um, just if you're going to argue it that way. But, uh, yeah, that's my, my argument for it. I'm actually going to take the other guy. I've got Rob Burnett here. Uh, I, I love him as being the edge setter of the early Ravens years. And, you know, Suggs would be that uh, come later, and so would Jarrett Johnson. But in the early Ravens years, and, and particularly – in the 2000 season when their run defense was so great, Rob Burnett was a terrific edge setter. I, McCrary could also get upfield. Don't, don't get me wrong on this, but, uh, but McCrary also had, had uh, sorry, Burnett also had plenty of sacks too. Uh, I, I agree with you about the McCrary uh, free agent signing was the first, and that was an amazing stretch of free agent signings that Ozzy has. I mean, free agent signings don't tend to work out all that well. It's a lot of money spent. It's usually a gamble, much more of a gamble than the draft, by the way. In, in my opinion, the drafts, they, I mean, they're, they're players in the first round. They all worked out. The free agent signings, they've been up and down. And they had a great five-year stretch in there from 97 till 2000. I guess it was a four-year stretch where it includes McCrary, Siragusa, Woodson. Um, you know, you mentioned another here that I've forgotten already, uh, Shannon Sharp. Uh, right. But uh, Corey Harris could even go in there if you want to talk dime back. He was a very inexpensive free agent signing. There's others as well. But it ended – with, with two guys, with Elvis Gerback that everybody remembers, and Leon Searcy that nobody remembers because he never played it down as a Raven after signing an enormous contract. Yeah, I know, for sure. They, they maximized the veteran free agent signing period as much as as, as any team, really. Uh, definitely in that time frame, if not, like, if you look at the last 20 years or so, they've had as good a run as anybody aside from those guys at the end, but it doesn't, I think, take away from how incredible that run was for them and kind of continued on and then made some other great moves along the way, Trevor, Trevor Price being one of them. Um, so, no, this is, this is a tough one for sure. I think Burnett's one of their top 25 Ravens of all time. Just uh, I think I just have I got Mac ahead of him a little bit here. Completely respect the judgment. Let's move on to defensive tackle. And here's where I forgot the guy, the other great free agent signing, Sam Adams. Two-year signing, but wonderful player. The five guys they have at defensive tackle, Kelly Gregg, Belodi Nada, Tony Siragusa, Sam Adams, and Brandon Williams. Yeah, so this is a tough one, and I I struggled, but I think Kelodi's clearly on there. And then um, let's see, we've got Kelodi. And then, yeah, Kelly Gregg was my pick, but I can see the logic with with Sam Adams. And I, I originally put Kelly Gregg down. I can't back off of that, I think. Because that would just, you know, not be <laughs> appropriate. If you make your pick, you make your pick. 
but Sam Adams and of course Goose could very much get, you know, very much could easily get considered here. Um, and then I think Sam Adams, frankly, is the better player. There's no doubt on that. I think just Kelly Gregg had a really strong stretch of seasons. So that's why I, I gave him the nod. Yeah, I think you could make the argument that Sam Adams, in terms of peak value, was the best of all five. Uh, but yeah. I, I, I still did not pick him for one of my top two. I picked Nada and Greg. Nada and Greg were Iron Men. They played an enormous percentage of the snaps when the Ravens were rotating, and they were guys that the the Raven defenses of that era just used as pillars and were very important. Kelly Gregg and, and Brandon Williams, frankly, have a lot in common, being three tech, uh, sorry, one tech players. Uh, each, both of whom uh, you, you look for a high tackle rate from. And Kelly Gregg just delivered on more of that. He had a, a higher rate of tackles, tackles per snap, whatever you want to call it, than, than Williams did. And he gave you a little bit more as a pass rusher. A lot of people don't remember this, but Kelly Gregg started originally in 2001 as a situational pass rusher because the Ravens entrenched two down linemen were so great, including Siragusa and Adams. That's a great point. He was a gap shooter. He definitely made some plays behind the line of scrimmage. He was disruptive. He somehow got 100 tackles. I think uh, a couple of different, like you said, he consistently was making tackles. So I think he had 100 mm-hmm. tackles multiple times over. So just, he was a quality player, uh, very much underrated given the fact that he wasn't a high draft pick, but uh, he, he should be on this. Uh, I think he should be on this list. Yeah, he averaged. Um... He had 533 tackles as a Raven in nine seasons. Now, 2001, he didn't really play very much. So that's an average of 60 tackles a year on the nose. That's absolutely freaking incredible. I mean, that's there are some linebackers who don't get that many tackles in, in a season, some inside linebackers. Uh, but this is this is a guy who, you know, playing on the nose, just constantly was able to get to the ball carrier, pursue the ball carrier, did whatever he needed to do to make plays. And. Oh, yeah. uh, very effective. Completely. All right, let's move on here. We'll go to the outside linebacker position. We've got five guys, uh, six guys on the ballot here. Matthew Judon, Terrell Suggs, Peter Bulware, Adelis Thomas, Elvis Dumerville, and Jarrett Johnson. I'll let you it's go an, first. Yeah, it's an interesting list uh, because I think the second-tier guys are, are, are like <laughs> on another team are like – all-timers for them, so mm-hmm. that's how talented they were here, but I think Suggs, obviously, and then I'm going to go with Bulwer, and I think, you know, man, Bulwer was such a phenomenal player. He was so critical. He's arguably their best pass rusher of all time. I know people are going to hear that and say, what do you, how can that be possible? Uh, you, you know, how can he be better than Suggs? I, I just think if you're just talking about pure pass rush ability, I still think Bulwer's a little bit better than Suggs. Suggs was the guy that had that plus everything else. Um, but he's such a phenomenal player, and I think gets a little bit lost in the, the mix sometimes because he played at the same time as Ray Lewis. So you could argue, and then he had, I mean, that defense was so loaded, that 2000 defense and that group. So uh, his greatness, I think, was kind of overshadowed sometimes. Um, but yeah, those are my two, and I think those are two of your top 10, 12 Ravens of all times, as, at all time as well. Arguably. Probably. So, yeah, so those are my two. I, I Those are my two as well. Uh, Bullware, one of the things kind of forgotten is they asked him to move around more than um, it would be normal. And he played defensive end for the 2002 team, I believe, when McCrary was hurt. And he moved there in 2001. He may have moved there for most of the season um, and ended up leading the AFC in sacks. Yeah, in that, I so, you know, I I, I love Ken, Peter Bulware. Ken, just to interject, remember the season where he he had the what was it, elbow or shoulder? I think he had a separated shoulder, and he and he still got more than ten sacks. Was that two thousand three? I think so. I mean, he played okay. with one arm. I, I can't yeah. remember exactly what the injury was, but he played with one arm and, and got more than ten sacks. Now I that should was... know that, but I've I've got to look back at the at the uh, at the video again. I know in two thousand. Uh, he really didn't play all the snaps. A lot of people think of the Ravens starting 11 as playing all the, but he was one of the guys who sat out a lot. Um, and he was sitting out early downs typically in his case, but uh, played about 70% of the snaps uh, while Sharper and Lewis, uh, you know, were, were playing a little bit more each Lewis playing every snap and, and, and Sharper playing a few more. Uh, it's a, it's a, uh, 
uh, he's a great player. Adelis Thomas probably gets gets my vote as a guy who might have been the highest peak value of any. And look at this, you know, you got a defensive player of the year in Suggs. You got Bullware who's had a you know a, led the AFC in sacks. You got Dumerville had a 17 sack season, you know, in in 2014. Um, and then you got Dallas Thomas, whose year in 2006 was just astounding, and drove the market way up on him for the for the Patriots to take him away. Oh yeah, it's a who's who. This this list is ridiculous. <laughs> and then you have Jared Johnson, who yeah. honestly could be their best, like lunch pail, almost uh, yeah. like their, their most unsung hero, second unsung player. He's the second best edge setter of the group, and he's exactly what the Ravens of today would need to turn around their their defense at, at one of its only weak positions is it would be a guy who could set the edge on and, and be a two down outside linebacker like Jarrett could. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, it's incredible how much depth they have here. All right, let's go to inside linebacker because you thought the depth was good there. You got four guys on the ballot here. Jamie Sharper, Bart Scott, Ray Lewis and C.J. Mosley. Yeah, it's tough. This is a tough one. Uh, I, you know, Ray's obvious and then. I went with Bart Scott. Uh, I don't feel very confident with that pick. You could easily argue C.J. Mosley, and, and you could argue Sharper for that matter. Uh, I just, I guess pound for pound, maybe just in terms of, like you said, peak impact, peak value. I guess Mosley has the numbers. He has the Pro Bowls. Uh, I just, I, I guess I would just go with Bart here, and I, I don't feel like it's a strong, <laughs> it's not a strong pick. Um, I don't have t- tremendous conviction with it. Bart had a absolutely monster season in 2006. Um, a lot of people don't realize just how little he played coming into that. He only had 10 career starts in four seasons going into 2006. Uh, it was during, let's see, it was, I forget if it was after 2006 or before 2006 that he went off to Cleveland. I think it was before 2006. He went off to Cleveland looking for a free agent deal. Cleveland had offered him something and he called the Ravens from their building and got signed. Right. And, I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> that was a classic story. Yeah. And then the other classic story was after the 2008 season that when the free agency period opens at 12.05, Rex Ryan showed up at his house and said, get in the car. You're coming, coming to see New York facilities with me. Yeah. And yeah. ended up being a great jet too. So not that that counts for, for the Ravens, but no. it, it, he was a good ball player. Like um, just, I think, and, and, and it lived up to kind of that status uh, for them. So, but yeah, I think ultimately it's a tough call here too. So uh, that's this linebacker group as a whole is just something else. I, I went with Mosley. I think in, he provided as much value, leadership, signal calling, all that as you could ask for. I did want to point out Jamie Sharper because one of the things that's is interesting to him is how similar Malik Harrison and he are. And how this really, you know, points forward to the next, uh, uh, you know, generation. But Sharper was a great 32 dime player in one season, 2001. And I just wonder what else could they have done if they'd gotten to the 32 dime earlier? Yeah, no, for sure. That's always been in, in the back of my head too. He he was a lot more well-rounded and capable. He could drop. He could. He 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 was really good for his size. I know the guys were. The linebackers were bigger back then, um, played a little bit heavier because there were a lot more run-heavy teams. But he was uh, he was terrific. He could he could do it all. Two positions to go here, and then I'm I'm going to just say the wolf pack is my three. But I'm going to we're going to we're going to go at cornerback. We've got Dwayne Starks, Chris McAllister, Marcus Peters, Lardarius Webb, Jimmy Smith, and Marlon Humphrey. Another great group. Yeah, this is another tough call. Uh, so I think McAllister is is there for me and pretty should pretty much should be there. The question is um, the rest of the guys. Well, let me, let me, let me take a step back. Um, got McAllister. Um, and then you said Humphrey. Uh, we talked about Humphrey, Jimmy Smith, Starks, um, Webb and Peters, Webb and Peters. Yeah. So that's, that's a, that's a really tough call, but I, I went with Jimmy Smith Um I think people, I think James Smith's one of the most polarizing players mm-hmm. uh, all time. Just every time I, I bring him up, people have some, some strong opinions about him. I under, understandably because he's been hurt. He's not really lived up to that potential all the way he's, he's teased. But he's had some strong seasons. If you look at that 2013 season where they asked him to just kind of shadow anybody, I remember that game against Detroit, for example. Yes. Megatron. I mean, he, at his height, has, has, is 
not as good as McAllister, but at his height, I think he, you know, Webb could probably make a case here. Um, but I just think Jimmy Smith was as good of a corner as anybody uh, for them at his height. And I'm going to go with that plus the years. But okay. you can make an argument for any of these guys, except for I think Dwayne Starks is kind of like the one guy I would I would kind of discount. Um, but I'm going to go ahead and make the argument for Starks. <laughs> but go ahead. That's interesting. But go, go, go ahead. I, 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 that's my argument for Jimmy Smith, though. Okay, well, fair enough. I, I think Starks four years or at such a level contributing to such a defense that he's often forgotten. A shorter guy was always around the football. He had something like 21 or 22 interceptions, but it's, it's only two Ravens with more uh, in similar time in the secondary, and that's Rod Woodson and Reed. Wow. So, okay. uh, you know, you're, you're, you're really talking about a great ball hawk at corner, which is unusual. And he was he was very special in that regard. Also picked up a lot of fumbles when he did pick up stuff. When he did it, he ran them back. Uh, you know, he had all the postseason interceptions, including the one in the Super Bowl. So I liked him. I thought Lardarius Webb, in terms of peak value in in the 2011 season, was probably the greatest cornerback the Ravens ever had. And I think Marlon Humphrey will be one yes. of the two guys by the time he retires. Yeah, let me put that disclaimer out there too. I do I have Humphrey projected to be the best cornerback of all time, and that's lofty because they've had some good corners here, but, and I know people can make an argument for this, for him right now. And I would totally um, think that that's not totally absurd. Right. But I just, yeah, I just think, yeah, you have to go with the guys that have a little bit more years and that's an interesting case you made for Starks. I might have to rethink my point. So that's why this is a fun debate. Yes, absolutely. Good to have some texture here. I'm glad we're not agreeing on everything. Safety. We got six guys on the ballot here. Eric Turner, Rod Woodson, Ed Reed, Earl Thomas, Duan Landry, Eric Weddle. Oh, my goodness. Oh, this is like a who's who. Maybe this is the best group, uh, Ken, <laughs> arguably yeah. of all time, because you get some Hall of Famers. Uh, Eric Turner, man, he was a great player. And for all intents and purposes, could make a lot of all pro teams uh, elsewhere. But this one is going to come down to the two Hall of Famers who are pound for pound, arguably the top guys that they're in their positions. I mean, Rod Woodson played cornerback and safety. So, um, you know, he's a better, I think he's more considered a better cornerback in his career, but he makes my cut along with obviously the, the best safety of all time in Ed Reed. And wow, it's tough because guys like Weddle and I think, I think Weddle made a strong case in his, in his uh, years here too, but uh, that's the way I'm going to go with my uh, vote. Respect it. Eric Weddle, only three years with the Ravens. Earl Thomas, only one so far. Uh, Eric Turner, similar short uh, period, doesn't doesn't do it for me. I think I don't know whether Turner played two years or three years with the Ravens, but he ended fairly quickly. Duan Landry, very underappreciated player, spent five years here, but it just doesn't match up with Rod Woodson in terms of his, uh, the quality. He was a big component of that 2006 team, though, and mm-hmm. he's one of the players that I asked in a recent poll – would you rather have Jarrett Johnson or Dwan Landry? And there's a list of four players. I forgot exactly all the players involved. Um, but Dwan Landry is one of the people who I think is really underappreciated because Dwan Landry on the back end of this Ravens defense would be something really special in terms of, of uh, you know, he could, he could play free safety and he could do a lot coming up into the box. One of the things they did a lot in 2006 with Ryan was to have him jump on an outside receiver and let an outside receiver rush the passer. Outside corner, rush the passer, sorry. So Samari Roll uh, got a sack of Michael Vick that year. Oh, yeah. No, that's true. I, I didn't realize he was that interchangeable. That's incredible. I, he's, he, you know, he's very underrated with his, his talent, his physical ability. He's played really well with Ed Reed. He's probably the best complimentary safety to Ed Reed, I think. Uh, they had some good guys, but, you know, I think pound for pound, he's the most talented, most co- uh, complete, for sure. All right, move on to the to, to the to the special teams things. I don't really think there's any doubt about these, but we are going to talk about kicker for a second. Justin Tucker, Matt Stover. Can you make a case for Stover? It's so tough. I, I wish I could. He's such a great Raven, but it's it's done. It's yeah. it's Justin Tucker's. Uh, it's his it's his it's his world. We're all trying to live in it. Yeah. 
I kind of feel like there's one point at which uh, Cal, or, or Brooks Robinson said, Cal Ripken, you're Mr. Oriole now kind of thing. And it just it, it couldn't have been more of a one for one thing. And we'll always remember Stover in the sense that he's a, you know, a great person for the community and whatnot. And Brooks in that same way, boy, the guy is so cool, even to this day, about wanting to have a conversation with anybody. I mean, it's just very lovable guy. But uh, but he's but it's clearly Tucker right now is is the, the talent in this group. No doubt about it. No, that's a great point. Like, I think it's important also to acknowledge Stover's importance and his legacy and how uh, it, 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 this is one of the incredible kicker back to back scenarios. And that's a great com- comparison, you know, like Brooks Robinson and Cal Ripken or. I don't know if you look at other you know situations like Pat like the Packers with the, you know Favre and Rodgers. That's kind of what you got with. I know kicker's not a glamorous position, but that's what the Ravens have. They have two of the all-time greats, but uh, Stover unfortunately can't make the team. I know he would accept that pretty graciously because mm-hmm. uh, that's what he's he's been outspoken. I think in saying Tucker's the best kicker, but um, best kicker in the team history and you know tucker's on his way to being the best kicker of all time yeah if he's not there already honestly yeah. uh punter sam cook is with kyle richardson dave zastadil somehow they didn't get montgomery on this list but neither of those guys uh, kicked for long enough they were part of a natural program the ravens had where they wanted to stay cheap at punter and and continually draft a guy or or, or sign a guy uh, where they get rid of him after four seasons at to, to free agency or five yeah, they actually did have a good run there, too. You're right. I mean, pretty consistent. All those guys were, were – and they were able to hit on Zacidil before um, Cook, which was critical, but uh, they improved with Cook. And Cook is the guy and probably will end up being the guy for that next 25-year team, I think. Um, I, can't, I can't imagine he wouldn't be because, you know, when you also put it down, he's Tucker's holder. And, yes. and the Wolfpack as a group, and I don't think I don't think you can drop Morgan Cox off the long snapper list, which is no. kind of funny to even have a long snapper list. But <laughs> I, I don't think you could you can drop him off that, given you know the, all of Tucker's success. All three of those guys are critical to it. I totally agree. It's they are they have to, they're going to be the team this time, and they'll be the team I think uh, on the next list. Yeah. All right. Well, Dev, loved having you on for this again. Thank you so much for joining us in this special 25th anniversary episode. What do you have going on at Russell Street Report right now? Yeah, so I appreciate uh, you kind of um, thinking uh, thinking of me for this discussion. This is a fun discussion and loved having it. Uh, Russell Street, um, if, if folks want to check Russell Street uh, out, I, I had an article out on Malik Harrison. So if you, I know it's been crazy times. Uh, there's a lot going on in the world, but uh, the drafts, if you want to take a, take a trip back to the draft and read up on the prospects, this is a good time to do it, especially with the potential of camp starting. Malik Harrison is a guy I spotlighted and wrote about extensively and just how he might fit in the scheme, and he might not necessarily um, be, but maybe more than meets the eye. He might actually give him a lot of pass rushing pop and do some things in the rush game that you might not expect. So uh, I have some notes about that and I have some thoughts about that. Check that out when you get a chance. And I've got some future projects coming up as well that I'm looking forward to. Okay. On Twitter. Uh, on tw- Yeah. And on Twitter, uh, folks can find me at Dev Panchwa. Um, have talking about this very topic. Uh, I've got my team up. Uh, you guys have heard it here, but I've got it uh, tweeted out as well. And then I'm also consistently uh, talking about, all things Ravens on, on my Twitter account. All right. Outstanding. Dev is always a guy you want to include in conversations, tag him occasionally uh, when you want to talk about a good historical Ravens context in particular, because he's good with that. Uh, he was reminding me about how we have a lot of young bucks now who are joining and didn't necessarily see the early Ravens period. But uh, uh, Dev is one of the grayer crowd now. I see it. Yes, it is. We, we never think of ourselves as old, but I was old, of course, when the Ravens first got here. But you, not so much, And but uh, but you're, you're getting a little older now. It's okay. I, I, I like it. I, I came up with the team when they when they started or, or was lucky enough just to, you know, follow them when they came. And, and it's been a great ride. 25, that's why 20, I get sentimental about the 25 years, Ken, because of that. It's been a big impact on me personally, and, and I was a young guy when I when they when they started. I was young when they when I started following them. So, um, yeah, the, I appreciate the fact that I understand this history, and I, I hope 
uh, you know, I hope our younger Ravens uh, also take the time to to really kind of soak it in and, and check it out because it's it's a, a lot of good football that was played before before uh, the 2000 uh, I guess eight team and, and onward when Harbaugh came on board. All right. Well, thanks again for coming, Dev. I will. Uh, I, I want uh, folks to give give him a follow. If you like film study, if you're enjoying these this short series, uh, if if you could please take a look uh, online, give us a review or a like or whatever it is on the on the system you're using. But a review is really the thing that that'll help us come up as a top Ravens podcast. And uh, if you have a film study short idea of your own, please send me a direct message on Twitter. We'll get you on. And uh, I want to be very inclusive about this. If you're passionate about it, I want to talk to you about it. Thanks a lot for, for joining us this time, and we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. Birdland Sports. For fans, by fans. Find more great shows like this at birdlandsports.com. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.